Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and your guest co-host, the MMA genius. We're going to be talking UFC 211, Dos Santos vs. Miocic 2, Jan Jacek vs. Andrade, Jorge Masvidal vs. Damian Maia, Frankie Edgar vs. Yair Rodriguez, Dustin Poirier vs. Eddie Alvarez. It doesn't stop there, man. I mean, this card is so damn stacked, and it's interesting how the universe arranged your first card back to be the most stacked card of 2017. Yeah, man, I'm so pumped up for this card. I mean, from top to bottom, especially that, that prelim, Christoph and Dave Branch, Dustin and Eddie, not, for, not to forget Sergio and uh, Henry. I mean, this is going to be a good night. And let's get right down to business because we got Christoph Jotko. He's minus 145. The comeback on David Branch is plus 125. Now, for everyone who's not familiar with David Branch, this is not his UFC debut. This is actually his UFC return. He had a stint back in the day that didn't go his way. But, I mean, you know, you recall the Gerald Harris slam knockout that was seen on ESPN. But since that point, David Branch faced defeat like a champion. He put his head down. He grinded. He became a two-division world champion in the World Series of Fighting. He beat UFC vets such as Yushin Okami. And uh, he's really been putting it together. He even went the distance with Anthony Rumble Johnson. Now, I know on the record, it's officially a loss, but you know at the end of round two, he had a deep triangle choke on Anthony Rumble, and a couple more seconds, he would have got the tap there. The only thing here, though, is that you know he is getting up there in age, and uh, you know against a guy like Jocko, who is flat out in his prime. I mean, Jocko's a guy who you know everyone that's been listening to Half the Battle knows we've been high on Jocko for a very long time, but you know he's not in Poland anymore. He you know he changed his entire life. He moved to Florida. He's training at ATT full time. He doesn't have any distractions. His whole life is revolved around becoming the world champion. And I think what's going to be the difference here is his movement. He's simply too fast for David Branch. He's a little bit more athletic than Branch, but Branch is a very sneaky guy, man. I mean, the way he pops that jab, the way he's able to win those close decisions, you know I love these fighters that win the close decisions. The only issue here is that Jocko is the expert at winning the close decision, and I truly believe he does what Branch does just a little bit better. I mean, you recall that fight with Talos Latis, and you know, before the fight, I'm all like, well, you know, if we keep the fight standing, we're going to win. And then you see Jocko go in there and take down a guy like Talos Latis. So that just shows me that's the sign of a future world champion. So what I think is going to go down here is I think uh, Jocko is going to be able to use his speed, his athleticism, his youth, and win that 30-27. Circle around, pick him apart, mix in timely takedowns, and uh, win that decision. But listen... There's a reason I'm not max betting this. I respect Dave Branch a lot. He's a gamer. He's a winner. He's going to win a lot of fights in the UFC, but I think this is a very tough return. So for that reason, I got the pull. Christoph Jocko. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said. I think this is a tough fight to come back to in the UFC. I mean, but what Dave Branch has done outside the UFC is remarkable. I mean, the dudes he's beaten, and he's been consistent. Um, but Christoph's just on a different level right now. I mean... Fully training at ATT now. As you know, man, we've been high on Christoph since back when he was fighting Brad Scott. Ask him. I mean, we always said once he got it together, he was going to get it together and look how he's been looking. I mean, you you go to Brazil and you dominate Talis like that, beat him in every aspect of the game. A guy in Talis who's went the split decision with the champion, you know what I'm saying? And you handle him with ease. Um I just think uh, Branch. I think he's Branch is getting a little older nowadays. I mean, look at his uh, fight with Lewis Taylor. I mean, in those early rounds, those those exchanges on the feet were pretty close. I mean, Taylor was cracking him at times. Uh, Branch was struggling to get takedowns. And no offense to Lewis Taylor, but he is nowhere near the level of a top fifteen UFC fighter. And that's what he's fighting right now. 
I just think Kristoff's going to move, move, dance, left kick, straight left, look pretty, beat him, beat him in every aspect. When he gets against the fence, Branch isn't going to take him down. Um, Kristoff is an expert with his back on the fence. He does not get taken down. Look at that Brad Scott fight. Look at most of all his fights, even dating back to the Bruno Santos fight. You cannot take this dude down against the fence. And I got Kristoff 30-27 decision. You know, I agree with you. I do think it's going to be a 30-27. But for me personally, I hope it's a split decision because we know Christoph Jocko only breakdances when he wins <laughs> split decision. So that's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, I put Christoph in a parlay, 2.2 units, with someone on this next fight. And we got James Vick. He's minus 393. He was minus 400 earlier. You know, a little bit of money has came in on his opponent, Marco Polo Reyes, who is currently plus 320. Now, as a fan, how can you not love Polo Reyes? I mean, that fight he had with the maestro, Dong Young Kim, I mean, you can make an argument. That's a top five all-timer. I mean, they just went to war from start to finish. So many momentum swings. Both men wobbled. Both guys got dropped. It, it was a an absolute war. But now, Marco Polo's got a big step up in competition. He's taking on James the Texecutioner Vic, and... I mean, we, we know the deal with Vic. He's very tall for the weight class. He's the tallest man in the UFC lightweight division, but he's not just tall. He fights tall as well. He establishes his jab. He pops dudes' heads back with the straight punches. He mixes in the flying knees. And if you start to shoot a desperation takedown on James Vic, your neck might get snatched up. You might get guillotined or darsed. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, how do certain people react to taking that first loss? And, you know, some guys take a loss. They never come back the same. When James Vick faced defeat, he faced defeat like a champion. He put his head down and he grinded. He came back against Abel Trujillo, a guy that's only lost to the number one and number two guy. I mean, Abel Trujillo has only lost to Tony Ferguson and to Khabib Nurmagomedov. Vick goes out there and he puts on an absolute clinic. I mean, he fought very, very tall, using his range really well. And I think that work that he's been putting in with Phuket top team in Thailand, it's really working dividends not only for you know his usage of his range, but his footwork and everything else, man. And uh, I was very impressed with how he looked against Trujillo. Now here against Polo, I mean, look, Polo is a tough Mexican brawler. We know the deal with these tough Mexicans. They're gonna fight until the bitter end. The, the question is, can he last until the bitter end? I really don't think he will. I think it's either gonna be a head kick, a flying knee, a desperation shot into a guillotine. But bottom line, I see the executioner, James Vick, with the finish. So for that reason, I put him in that 2.2 unit parlay with Christoph Jocko. Yeah, um, I'm all over Vic in this one. Uh, Polo, like you said, a tough Mexican. Um, good training camp, solid right hand. Um, but like we said, Vic, after that fight with Benel Darius, we already know the case. He leaves his chin up a lot of the time. But I feel like in the last fight with Abel, he, he still got caught a little bit, but definitely improved on the issue. I mean... Definitely was a mature performance. When he got caught back in the past, he'd still come in straight, still with his chin up. But this time he came back in with his chin down, not getting caught, not getting hit as much like in the past, like against Nick Hine or, you know, in the past where we see him take those big shots like the Glaco fight. Um, even, the, even the takedown defense is a lot better. At times we've seen him just get taken down real easy. He this took time, down Abel. Exactly. This time he took down Abel and he was stuffing him. Um, I just think he he took a big step his last fight. I think Vic's a potential top 15 guy, and I just think uh, this fight with Polo is just going to be added to his highlight reel. I'm definitely all over Vic here. 
Another thing about Vic's last performance is that physically speaking, that's the best he's ever looked, man. Because before that, you know, if you guys have listened to past episodes of Half the Battle, you've heard me tell Vic that, man, maybe you'd feel better at 170. But now I'm, I'm retracting that statement, even though it's true, he would feel better. But this time it didn't look like, you know, a, a very skinny guy trying to make 155. This time it felt like, man, he really looks like a 55er out there. He looked physically the best he's ever looked against Trujillo. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely definitely his best performance in my opinion. Um, like I said, it was just a mature performance. That training in Thailand's paying off. And what do you do after a loss? He put his head down and he grinded and he came back a lot better. And that's all you can ask for someone to do. And now the question is, can Marco Polo Reyes come back from this loss he's about to take better? You know, he's a very tough guy and I hope he rebounds accordingly. Yeah. Uh, Marco got a solid right hand. Um, I think he's a little chinny to be honest. Um, as where Vic will get hit and still keep coming. I mean, I know he had that Dariush loss, but Dariush is a top five, top It took Dariush 100 exactly. shots to put him out. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Dariush was winded after that finish, and um, I just think Polo is not on James Vic's level. James Vic is arguably a top 15 guy right now, so we're going to see. what we'll, we'll see what happens. Indeed we will. I think it's going to be a very good night for, uh, for the Texecutioner in Texas. Now, next up, this one's going to be really good, too, because we got Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. He's minus 130. The comeback on Jason the Kid Knight is plus 110. Now, again, if you've been listening to Half the Battle, you know that earlier this week, I put out an episode with Chaz Skelly and Jason Knight because I just feel like this is one of those under-the-radar matchups that could totally be fight of the night in such a stacked card. I, I feel like on the feed, they're going to throw down. If it stays standing, they're going to throw until one guy falls, but... As soon as one of them starts shooting, I truly believe there's going to be some serious scrambles. And, man, on the feet, I think that Jason Knight is slicker, faster, more athletic than Chas Skelly. It's just a matter of what happens when this fight hits the ground. We know off his back, I mean, Jason Knight's going for that rubber guard. And, you know, I don't want to reference the Kawajiri fight too much because he did take it on two weeks short notice. And according to him, you know, if you heard my interview with him, he's like, look, man, that was the worst game plan in the history of game plans. If I would have had a little bit more preparation, I would have beat Kawajiri. And I truly believe him because you look at his next three fights, he goes out there and we're talking about how, oh, he doesn't have takedown defense, this and that. And his takedown defense was great. And not only that, his offensive takedowns were really good too. And that fight with Hooker, I mean, he beat him in Australia. And then against Bruce Leroy on Fox, the biggest platform of his career, he goes out there and shines under the bright lights. Now with Chaz the Scrapper Skelly, man, very tough guy obviously on the feet you know he is a little bit slow not as athletic but the kid can crack and not only that he's got a very good chin you watch his fight with kevin souza and i guarantee you that shot would have knocked most people out but chas kelly he gets back up he keeps grinding he eventually taps out kevin souza so we're dealing with a very tough individual so here's my question man i mean do you think that chas kelly is going to take down jason knight because if he doesn't like jason knight said in our interview you know he's fixing to, to pick him apart standing the, the question is, what's going to happen when this fight hits the mat? That's my biggest question here. But since I have to give a pick, this is half the battle. I'm a big fan of both. Nothing personal. I'm going with Jason the Kid Knight to get the upset. Yeah, uh, it's a tough fight. Two grapplers. Um, you know, when two grapplers fight, most of the, sometimes, not most of the time, but sometimes it ends up being a stand-up war. I definitely feel Knight has the edge on the feet. He throws more straighter punches, knows what he's doing more, as where Skelly is wide, loose, chin up in the air. Um, but he can crack. I mean, I remember, I know you remember when he uh, fought Mursad in his debut where he knocked, him out. Where he, uh, knocked him out. 
but uh, you know, the the illegal knee or whatever. But I just think uh, if they hit the mat, I see Skelly having a wrestling advantage. Um, so he could escape some things and you know hold position on top and uh, win you know kill time and win on points. Um, but I just think Knight is too much of a gamer. Like John Anik says, he's Mississippi mean. I just think he's too mean. I think he's just gonna stay in his face. When uh, Skelly shoots, I feel like he'll stuff it, knee him, uh, grab that headlock, take his back, stay uh, stay ahead, um, and then when he'll get back up to the feet. I mean, some of those entries against against Hooker were beautiful. Like those were like legit D1 wrestling entries. Um, I just think uh, Knight's gonna edge this out. It's gonna be close. I feel like Skelly will have his moments, but I just think Knight's gonna be too mean, land the bigger shots on the feet, but. Uh, I, I got Jason Knight. It's going to be a really damn good fight. I mean, that's one thing that you and I can agree on. These two are going to throw down. There's a good chance for a performance bonus in a fight like this for sure. And also, man, Chaskelly set the record for the fastest submission in featherweight history. He's got fastest consecutive wins in UFC history. Oh, yeah. So he's looking for his third, his third record, and that third record is to get the most submissions in UFC featherweight history. So we'll see if he's going to be able to accomplish that. But, you know, something really interesting about Jason Knight, you know, when I talked to both of these guys, so I asked, you know, Skelly what he was looking forward to. Skelly's looking forward to getting this fight behind him and getting wasted with his friends. Jason Knight, he said, look, man, I'm looking forward to the fight itself. I'm looking forward to gritting my teeth, seeing if this guy can take what I have. Like, Jason Knight's just got a different mentality than a lot of these guys. Like, he genuinely enjoys the fight itself. Like, a lot of dudes enjoy, you know, getting up on the fence and, you know, putting their hands up in the air and celebrating the fact that they just won. But Knight actually enjoys the fight itself. It's a, he's a very unique individual. So definitely pay attention because I truly believe the winner of this fight is going to you know be contending for the top 15. So definitely tune in on FX. And uh, MMA Genius, you know what's headlining the FX prelims? Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez. I mean, that's guaranteed violence right there. Guaranteed, guaranteed violence. We know Eddie, Eddie, back old Eddie used to bang, bang all the time. I know you remember the Chandler fights, Patricky fight, you know what I'm saying? And we already know what Dustin is. Dustin, Roger Huerta fight. Exactly, the Roger Huerta fight. We already know what Dustin's about. You know, he wants to be defensively responsible, but let's, <laughs> let's be honest here, he ain't going to be. Um, we've seen Eddie switch it up in the past, you know, come out and wrestle, come out and look to edge it out. But I just think when him and Dustin fight, when they both get hit, it's just going to turn into an all-out brawl. Um, you know, when I heard the fight got announced, uh, I thought Eddie would actually be a bigger favorite just because he's the former champion. Uh, he beat Rafael Dos Anjos. But now, you know, Dustin's a slight favorite. Um, I am leaning Dustin. I just think Dustin is in a better place right now. Eddie's coming off a devastating, devastating loss. Uh, Dustin's coming off a tough fight with Jim Miller where, you know, he got leg kicked. But that's because it was Southpaw versus Southpaw. Um, I just see Dustin being cracking him with some big shots and Eddie Eddie not standing there, but just being too slow, not moving his head. I feel Dustin's just in a good spot right now. I think he needed that MJ loss. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like he said he was getting too emotional, which he, he will get emotional. He just has to live with it. But I just think Eddie's coming coming off a bad L. Dustin straight left. Hard lick, leg kicks, and just landing the harder shots. I think uh, back in Eddie's prime, he used to have that big power, but I just think it's kind of diminished now. I feel like he he's adjusted his style so much um, to where 
he was looking to edge out decisions, even though he did KO uh, Dos Anjos, but we know what was going on with Dos Anjos before that. And um, not taking any credit away, but I like Poirier. Well, for those that don't know what he's talking about, you know, in terms of what happened to Dos Anjos, so firstly, let me backtrack a little bit. So we can all agree, you know, Eddie makes his UFC debut against Cowboy Cerrone, gets absolutely whooped, and then he goes out there against Gil Melendez. Very ugly decision, but hey, man, he got his arm raised. It was ugly, but he did it. Then against Pettis, once again, it was ugly, but he did it. So you're kind of like... I don't really know what to think about Eddie right now. And he gets his title shot against Rafael Dos Anjos. He goes out there and knocks him out in the first round. So right then and there, I'm like, all right, well, you know what? He can grind dudes out if he needs to. He can stand and bang if he needs to. But then I looked into it a little bit deeper, and you hear Dos Anjos talking about how he passed out the day of the fight with Eddie, you know, before the fight and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, so that's why he, he looked like shit. Now, I'm not one to discredit a career's worth of hard work because obviously, you know, that's what... That's what Eddie did to get to the point that he's at, man. But kind of like Connor said, he's very lucky to be in the position he's in. You know what I'm saying, man? Because those first three UFC fights were so ugly. And then he goes in there against Dos Anjos, who passed out right before the fight. And he knocks him out. So that wasn't even the best Dos Anjos. The one that, you know, that wasn't even the guy that beat Pettis. The guy that beat Cerrone. So I don't want to discredit him. But I feel like, you know, it's been uh, the circumstances have allowed him to be in the position he's in. And, hey, man, take a win by any means necessary. But now you're fighting Dustin the Diamond Poirier. And, you know, the only thing that's missing from Dustin's resume is that UFC belt. I mean, everything else he's done, man. I mean, he's literally beat amazing fighters such as Joe Duffy, beat staples of the lightweight division such as Jim Miller. Now, a lot of people like to talk about Dustin's chin. And, yeah, if we're fighting Conor McGregor or... You know, Blackyow, Michael Johnson, who's considered the fastest yeah. fighter in the lightweight division, especially that night when that they fought. Night, that night, Michael Johnson looked amazing. Poirier had no chance that night. I mean, when Michael Johnson shows up, he shows up. I mean, look at the Edson fight. Look at the Tony Ferguson fight. And look at the Poirier fight. When he shows up, he shows up. And that night, he showed up. That, and he would have beat Eddie, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you're dealing with, okay, so he got knocked out by McGregor, and he got knocked out by a lot faster fighter in Michael Johnson. I don't think that Eddie Alvarez is anywhere near as powerful or as fast as those fighters, Michael Johnson and Conor McGregor. I feel like Eddie Alvarez, you know, I feel like Dustin's going to be able to see what's coming at him. And not only that, but the southpaw stance is going to give a lot of problems to Eddie Alvarez here. And I feel like Dustin's going to be establishing his jab. He's going to throw that straight left down the pipe. And I feel like when Eddie tries to close the distance with that lunging right hand, that's when he's going to get clipped by the left hand of Dustin Poirier. Now, whether he goes down or not, that remains to be seen, but I do believe that Dustin Poirier is going to get the victory. So for that reason, I took the 2.1 unit shot on Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Uh, how many southpaws has Eddie fought? The only one he's fought in the UFC is McGregor, right? And Dos Anjos. And Dos Anjos, yes. Uh, we'll, see. we'll see what happens. But like I said, I feel like Eddie's on his way, not on his way out, but he's getting there. You know what I'm saying? Um, How do you come back from that Conor fight? Exactly. That's what I want to know. Because when, look, when you put that that much into it, and that happens, you know what I'm saying? I just feel like, man, it's so hard to come back to. And when you're fighting Poye, and you know it's going to be a slugfest, and you know that chin's going to be tested. Not saying that Poye has the best chin because he doesn't. Poye's been rocked several times at 45, but at 55 only once or twice. But Poye, Poye is fighting close to home right now. I just see Poye uh, landing that straight left, and uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. I really want to emphasize how fast Michael Johnson looked that night. I mean, I really feel like people need to go back and watch that fight because yeah, the speed he possessed, like, it, it's... He had no chance at the gate. 
Eddie Alvarez doesn't have hands like that no, no. at all. So I'm really not worried about that kind of thing and, happening, and, you know? And, and let's not forget Eddie's history now. Eddie's been dropped several times now. Before Cat, his UFC career. Before his career. Even before, when we date back Patrici, uh, Patricky, Huerta, uh, Chandler. Listen, you know, to be honest, I thought he lost both Chandler fights, to be honest. Um, I mean, he's been in some wars. I mean, so that chin, that chin ain't the best either. Um, but, yeah. And another thing I like about Dustin's game is his takedown defense doesn't get talked about because the guy likes to brawl so much. But you watch that fight with Jim Miller. Jim goes in there with a deep entry. And the way that Dustin stuffed that takedown, I mean, it's textbook. He swims in for the double underhooks. He pushes the head down. He pulls his leg out. He circles off. And once you start backing up against the fence, that's when Dustin starts to unload. That's when he tries to put you out. And, you know, you hit Dustin one time. You know, he talks about how he's trying to be more, you know, defensively responsible. You hit him one time, he's going to go back to his brawling roots. So basically... Basically, for me betting Dustin Poirier here, what I'm banking on is him not going down. I really don't believe he's going to get knocked out. I don't think that Eddie is fast enough or powerful enough to knock out Dustin Poirier. In fact, I think Dustin is powerful and fast enough to knock out Eddie Alvarez, and I believe that he will. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, Dustin Poirier is about to get the first legend under his belt on his resume. If we're not counting Jim Miller. But, yeah, like you said, Miller had a deep shot in that first round. And Dustin stuffed that beautifully. Out-wrestled the D1 wrestler. And, uh, like we said, Poye's game is just well-rounded. We already know what his issue is. Getting emotional. Getting hit. Uh, playing around in there a little bit. But I think he realizes what's in front of him right now. And I think he's just ready to seize the moment. And again, he's beat way faster guys than Joe, Eddie Alvarez. Joe Duffy. Joe Duffy. Bobby Green. I mean, those guys are no slouches at all, man. You know what I'm saying? And not only did he beat them, the way he beat them. I mean, the 30-26 against Duffy. The first round knockout against Bobby Green. Serious stuff, man. Who's knocked out Bobby Green? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? We could talk about Tim Means a million years ago, yeah, but, you know, yeah, even he didn't knock yeah, him out. Exactly, he quit. Yeah. yeah. Now, this one's going to be interesting, man, and we actually have a play on this next fight between Henry Cejudo. He's minus 410. The comeback on Sergio Pettis is plus 330. Now, a lot of people are going to be surprised when they hear who we're picking for this fight. You want to tell them? Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. I mean, Sergio, I felt like he turned the corner his last fight against Moraga. That was a mature performance from a 23-year-old kid who's been through who's been through a lot, let's be honest. I mean, he got he got KO'd by uh, Benoit. That fight with Caceres, even that fight with uh, Hobart back in the day when he got dropped right away. And I, I recall, I remember uh, Duke Rufus telling him after he lost to Benoit, this is a part of the process. Him losing that fight is a part of the process. And I think Sergio is about to open some eyes on Saturday. I understand Henry's the the gold medalist. But, like, let's be honest here. What is one common denominator in Henry's fights when he wins? They're close. close. They're close. <laughs> They're all close. It's never him dominating anyone besides his debut. It's always close back and forth. And Sergio, I feel like, is a point-fighting machine. I mean, he is a point-fighting champion, seriously. I mean, I just feel like he's going to... You know, people say Cejudo looked good against Benavidez, but when I rewatched it, the first round he came out, he won the first round. He came out he came out blazing the first round. But that second and third round, I mean, he's swinging big hooks, missing missing wide, getting tired as hell. Benavidez stole that from him the last two rounds. I don't think it was a bad decision at all. I feel like he's going to come out like a bull, and he's going to get cracked with a head kick right off the bat. 
And I feel like Sergio's going to outpoint him for three rounds and win a close, tight decision. But I feel like Sergio will win. Sergio's camp has been through this fight before. He fought uh, his teammate Chico. Another close fight. And uh, Henry was minus exactly, 900 there. Exactly. I, I bet on Chico in that fight. It was a close fight. A fight where Cejudo couldn't take him down. You know, he was struggling to get anything going. He's got solid hands. I give him that. Cejudo is a... To be honest, I think his boxing is better than his wrestling in MMA. Um, he can he can crack. He's a little bull when he comes out. I expect him to rough Sergio up that first round, but I feel like once that once that tiredness sets in, I feel like the technique is just gonna prevail for Sergio. I think it's gonna be a jab and a leg kick, high kick, body kick. I mean, let's be honest. He fought that whole Moraga fight in southpaw stance, just like <laughs> like his like his big bro. You know what I'm saying? Coming out southpaw and firing that kickoff. He did not go to orthodox at all. But he's way better than exactly, his big bro. Exactly. I mean, he's got hands. He's got offensive exactly. takedowns. Exactly. Like he's got the full package. He took Moraga down. He had a slight little mistake where he tried to jump guillotine. That he's still young. He's still, he's still the line. The line you could say is accurate because you know Sergio's had some had some uh, mishaps before. But trust me, that value on Sergio is good right now. I think he's just gonna uh, eke out another decision. I don't think the line's accurate at all because the line's indicating that he has less than a 24% chance to win the fight, which I think is a complete joke, especially like you mentioned. Henry Cejudo fights close every single fight, you know, except the Dustin Kimura fight. Okay, yeah, big deal. But, you know, when he's fighting against Formiga, when he's fighting against Chico, Chico Camus, against Joseph Benavidez, and we won't talk about the Mighty Mouse fight, but, uh, you know, he fights close every single time. And with Sergio, the only fights that he's lost are fights where he was dominating, he got caught, you know, when he was 19 and when he was 21, respectively, you know. He, he was learning his craft. He was figuring it out. He was just a kid. It's a part of the process. Yeah, you know? it's part of the process. And here against Henry Cejudo, you know, his team asked for this fight, you know, because they've, they've studied Cejudo's game for years. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, the Chico Camus fight, that dude is from their gym, but Sergio is a lot better than Chico Camus. And the way that Sergio point fights, you know, he doesn't take any unnecessary risks, but he makes sure that he's ahead at all times. And, you know, certain things that I was like, man, he needs to correct this and correct that, you know, like the chin in the air thing. He's gotten better about it, man. I know he got cracked a little bit against Moraga, but, I mean, shit, Moraga was wobbling all over the place. And Moraga's a dude that's been in there with Benavidez. He's been in there with Demetrius Johnson. None of those dudes had him wobbling. Now, you can make the argument, yeah, you know, the damage is done. You know, all those wars caught up to him but still man for Sergio to be the first guy to drop someone like Moraga and he took him down took him down have him wobbling all over the place you know one doesn't simply do that to John Moraga and you know it's not just the fact that he did that to Moraga because we we can agree that Moraga is kind of on his way out but that was back in January February it's May right now, man. You know, with these kids that are 23, 24 years old, they don't just make improvements, you know, month by month. They make improvements day by day. So it's been five to six months since then. It's been, you know, it's been more like four or five months. But still, man, I expect an even better version of Sergio Pettis to come out. Now, we, we got to talk about the Henry Cejudo versus Joe B fight because everyone talks about how Henry looked the best he's ever looked. Now, that night, you know, because he was so aggressive, I was like, yeah, man, he looks incredible. But then I rewatched it a couple times with you, and I'm like, yeah, so the first round he comes out hard, then he gasses out big time, and, you know, he's swinging at air the second and third round. I mean, we got to talk about those weight cuts, man, because those weight cuts take their toll on Henry Cejudo. I mean, this is a guy that... In his UFC debut, a lot of people don't know this. He was supposed to fight Scott Jorgensen, but he pulled out the week of the fight because he didn't want to. He didn't want to weigh in. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know he's he's gotten better since then. He's made it to a UFC title shot since then. 
But still, man, you watch that Benavides fight and those signs that he has tough weight cuts are still 100% there when he gasses out in the second round. And speaking of Joe B, man, you know, I know people are like, oh, but that's Joe B, the number one guy in the world. Yeah, number one guy. We'll see how number one guy he is when we fade him next fight. You know what I'm saying? Because Joe B is on his way out. And Henry, you know, look, man, he comes to fight, but you have to have cardio all three rounds if you're going to beat a guy like Sergio. And if not... What you need to do is you need to knock him out. And we know that Henry's not known for knocking dudes out. So, therefore, I think it's going to be a close decision. I took the plus 315. I was plus 330. It got even better. So, I would recommend taking a look at that value. I put two units on it. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Frankie the Answer Edgar. He's minus 140. The comeback on Yair El Pantera Rodriguez is plus 120. Now, this is a hell of a fight, man. And you know, you've known me for a long time, man. You know that Frankie Edgar is one of my all-time favorite fighters. I mean, I got a signed picture of this guy on my wall. Like, I mean, I used to worship Frankie Edgar. I mean, this is a guy that he was the smallest guy at 155 pounds, and he won the belt. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of badass we're dealing with. And you can't be undersized at 155 and win that belt, man. You got to, you know what I mean? Like, that that's the most stacked division in the entire UFC. And this little five foot six dude is going out there, dethroning BJ Penn, knocking out Gray Maynard, whooping on Benson Henderson. I don't care what those scorecards said. You know what I'm saying? So Frankie Edgar, man, I love this guy. He, he's, he's my hero. You know what I mean? He, he made he, he made it cool to be a little dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, he drops down to featherweight, man. And, uh, you know, he loses to Aldo, which, you know, no big deal. Aldo's the greatest featherweight of all time. And Frankie had an unbelievable run in his second title run at Featherweight, you know, knocks out Chad Mendes, beats Charles Dubronx, the Cub Swanson Chad fight. Cub. I mean, he destroyed Cub Swanson. That was unbelievable. But now, just like, you know, the history of the sport, there always comes that time when that next generation has passing to... Of the guard. <laughs> passing of the guard. Passing of the torch. But there's always that time for that next generation to come up and take the place of the old. And this could be that situation, man, because with the Ayer Rodriguez, you know, I've been hiring this kid a long time, man. You know, ever since I cashed that plus 200 against Charles Rosa, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been like, man, this kid's got something special about his game. But there were always these things like, you know, he'd throw a crazy flying kick, then he'd end up on his back and maybe lose a round. So I was like, you know, he's got to work out these little details. But once he does, he's going to be really good because the athleticism, the will to win, the dynamicism, the, the originality, the creativity, everything he brings to the table is super unique. Now, with Anthony Pettis, he was one of the first guys to really bring that flash to the UFC. But it was kind of an occasional thing, you know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't spin every five seconds, you know what I mean? It would be at the end of a round or, you know, fifth round of a title fight, he jumps off the fence and head kicks Benson Henderson. And it was like, wow, we've never seen anything like that before. And I always said to myself, you know, what's going to happen when there's a guy who, you know, does these flash moves as often as someone throws a jab? And, you know, there was never that guy to do that. But now there is. And Yair Rodriguez is the first guy to do that. Now, before I talk about why his style is so great, I must preface by saying I favor fundamentals over flash all day. But if you don't have the fundamentals down, you can't get off on that flash. I truly believe that. So, you know, people, that, that's the criticism people have of Yair. They try to act like he's not fundamentally sound just because he's doing all this wild shit. But you go and watch him, man. I mean, he does throw that jab out there. He is, you know, shooting for offensive takedowns and blast doubling guys like Andre Feely, who, let me let me add, Hakran Diaz couldn't blast double this guy. You know what I'm saying? And Yair Rodriguez is going out there and doing that. But the fact that his fundamentals are so sound, that's why he's able to get off on all the crazy ass shit that we see. Now, it's not just the occasional spin. You know, it's not just an Edson Barboza wheel kick that he does in the third round. This is like 
every five seconds, man, front leg side kicks and a bunch of kicks that I don't even know the names of, man. You know what I'm saying? A bunch of crazy ass shit. Somersault kicks, all kinds of wild stuff. And man, he's been making it work. He's undefeated in the UFC. He's been fighting some tough dudes. I know that none of these dudes are as tough as Frankie Edgar, but that's why that's why you step up in competition. That's why you have to rise to the occasion. That's why you get a test like this on pay-per-view on Saturday night at UFC 211. You got to show what you're made of. So look, Yair's beat some tough guys. Charles Rosa, Dan Hooker, Andre Feely, you know, the legendary BJ Penn, even though BJ is on his way out. I mean, I'll tell you what, BJ's got a tough chin to eat those, you know, spinning kicks to the chin over and over again and not go down. What a tough-ass dude. But now, Yair's got past all that, and he's got to face the former lightweight champion in Frankie Edgar. And, man, this is going to be a hell of a test for him because... No one has an easy fight with Frankie Edgar. You know what I mean? Even when Jose Aldo goes out there and clearly wins every single round, even he didn't have an easy time. He had to be super smart about that. Now, we also know that, you know, as much of a badass that Frankie Edgar is, he gets dropped almost every fight, man. I mean, I'm not just talking about the Gray Maynard fight. We got, we got to talk about that Jeremy Stevens fight because... You know, it's not just the fact that Jeremy Stevens rocked him because, you know, Jeremy Stevens can rock anyone. Jeremy hits like a truck, but it's the move that Jeremy rocked him with. He rocked him with a flying head kick. Now, you could make the argument, oh, Frankie didn't expect that, you know, from Jeremy. But the thing is, when Jeremy throws a flying head kick, it's slow, it's stiff, it's not athletic, it's telegraphed. You see it coming from a mile away. And, man, he had Frankie wobbling all over the place. Now we're going to put the dude with the best flying head kicks in UFC history against him, man? And, yeah, I did just say that because, I mean, who, who else has the best flying head kicks? I mean, I don't think Pettis does. I mean, shit, you, you, yeah. you saw that Andre Feely fight, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, And the thing is, Yair's one of these kids that, he, let's be honest, he's being groomed by the UFC, but we don't have to talk about that. Let's just talk about how he's got personal coaches for every single area of the game. You know what I mean? He's got his own private wrestling coach. He's got his private striking coach. And he's drilling all day, every day, and, you know, when we see him take, get taken down, if he's not attacking off his back for triangle chokes, he's getting back up to his feet and attacking you there, man. So, you know, Frankie's got to close that distance, and Jeremy Stevens was stuffing pretty much every single takedown up until the third round. And, you know, the times that he didn't, he'd get right back up immediately. The thing is, Yair's not going to just stand there like Jeremy Stevens. Yair's going to be moving all over the place laterally. It's going to be very hard for Frankie Edgar to close that distance on Yair Rodriguez. And he's going to be eating sidekicks to the leg, flying knees. I do believe Yair's going to be throwing some punches as well. It's a fist fight, right? <laughs> but, uh, man, it's going to be really interesting. But I do believe that this is going to be the first time in UFC history that Frankie the Answer Edgar, the legendary Frankie Edgar, gets stopped via knockout. I truly believe that Yair Rodriguez is serious, man. This isn't a joke. This isn't just, you know, a flash in the pan. This is the real deal, and I think he's going to show that on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you hit everything pretty much. Frankie's a legend. Uh, how the fight goes down, I see Frankie and uh, his team probably trying to hug on to Yair, probably trying to hold him against the fence, take him down, take advantage of Yair doing something wild and him slipping onto his back and trying to hold that top position and uh, win a decision. But I just feel like Yair is going to be too wild, spinning spinning head kicks all over the place, and I feel like he's going to catch and drop Frankie at some point while Frankie's in the midst of trying to shoot in and uh, avoid it, drop, probably trying to block his body instead of blocking his head or the other way around. Uh, I just think Yair, this is going to be a passing of the guard. Um, 
like I just think Yair is just the next wave. Uh, Frankie had his time. Now it's Yair's time. Um, like you hit on the spot earlier before, Jeremy dropped Frankie big with a head kick. And, uh, you know, Jeremy is known for his head kicks or his punches and his head kicks, but Yair throws it at a completely – they're just all over the place. You never know what's coming. I just think he's going to be too unpredictable, too tricky. If Frankie takes him down, let's not forget that Yair is scrambly as fuck. Like, the second he hits his, his back, hits the mat, he's throwing up triangles. He's throwing up arm bars. He's rolling for leg locks, trying to get back up. This guy is too hard to hold down. Um, Frankie could be the one to, you know, nullify him on that mat. But uh, I just think this kid's too wild and too hard to get a hold of. I just see him uh, I, was, I see him winning a decision just by landing the more flashier techniques, just landing the big head kicks, the big body kicks, uh, snapping Frankie's head back a couple times. I think Frankie will have his moments too, but I just see Yair just being too a little bit too devastating for him and winning a, a decision, 29-28. You know what else is interesting? This is the biggest fighter that Frankie Edgar has ever competed against. Now, you know, I'm not one to be like, oh, he's bigger than him, therefore he's going to win because, you know... Frankie Edgar's a badass, and like I said, he was the smallest guy at 155, and he won the belt, right? But, you know, we talk about how, you know, he went up there against Charles Oliveira, who's arguably the biggest featherweight he's ever fought. Yair's bigger than Charles Oliveira. Yair's literally the tallest fighter that Frankie's ever fought. Taller than Gray Maynard, taller than Benson Henderson, taller than Charles Oliveira. This is the biggest fighter he's ever fought. But it's not just a dude, you know, who stands tall with his chin straight up in the air. This is a guy who fights tall, who uses his length, who's always moving around, and you have to seriously close the distance to get in on a guy like Yair. He's not going to just gift it to you on a silver platter like a guy like Jeremy Stevens, you know. You're going to have to seriously work for this. And I do think the athleticism, the youth, him being this young virtual so it's just going to be too much for the legend Frankie Edgar and you know it's finally time look people are fading Frankie against Jeremy Stevens you know what I'm saying saying that this is the time Frankie's going to get caught I didn't do it there I'm doing it here I think this is the time he's finally going to get caught so whether that happens or not that remains to be seen but I took that two unit shot at plus 150 and I, I fully plan on cashing it Saturday night yeah I'm with you all the way next up Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, he's minus 125. The comeback on Damian Maya is plus 105. Now, the line has flipped. Some action has come in on Gamebred Masvidal, man, and uh, I'm partly responsible for that. <laughs> you know, I took that, that plus 115 on, on George Masvidal. I put two units on it, and I think that right now he's finally getting it together. You know, we've talked about in the past how guys like Masvidal, guys like Gegard Musasi, they've always been perennial top 15, and we knew they had the potential to be top five guys, but they'd lose close decisions, they'd make, you know, they'd do questionable things, they'd coast, stuff like that, stuff that would bite them in the ass. But now, I think that Masvidal and Gegard Musasi, they have a focus about them, they're putting it together, it really counts now, they're not just fighting random people that they're not getting up for, they're you know, they're fighting the top guys in the world, and they're fully motivated at their peak level. I think that uh, Masvidal's got something for Damian Maia. I mean, look, we got to respect the fuck out of Damian Maia. You know, for a dude who's in the UFC, and his style is based around not taking damage and not giving damage, just going out there and, you know, stalling you out or, or choking you out. Like when he first came to the UFC, it was like four submissions in a row, and he won submission of the night almost every single time. But... Part of this uh, welterweight run has been a bunch of decisions. But hey, you take that victory by any means necessary. No doubt about it. I'm not discrediting him. But, you know, against Carlos Condit. So Carlos is coming off the Robbie Lawler five-round war. And, you know, he retired after that fight. And then, you know, he decided to come back against Damian Maya. And, you know, on paper it was an intriguing matchup because, 
you know, one thing about Carlos Condit is, yeah, he gets taken down a lot, but no one submitted him since Pat Healy back in 2006. And uh, Damian Maya takes him down with a single leg. He throws one elbow. Condit completely stops defending himself. Damian passes to Mount right away, takes his back, chokes him out. Condit taps right away. So that to me, I was kind of like, man, that's a little bit uncharacteristic of Carlos Condit to give up like that, you know? Maybe Damian Maya is just that good. Maybe Damian Maya is the best welterweight on planet Earth. But then you hear Carlos talk, and he's like, dude, I got hit with one elbow, and I didn't know where I was. And in my prime, I could have got hit with 10 elbows and been perfectly fine. But this time, you know, I'm I'm a past my prime fighter, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting rocked by elbows by Damian Maya. So you go back, you watch that fight. Now that you know this, watch that fight. So he gets rocked with that elbow, then immediately... Damian Maya gets that full mount like it's nothing. I mean, Carlos, I don't want to say he quit. I just want to say that he was out of it to the point where he couldn't defend himself anymore, man. I guarantee you this right now, man. If he takes down Jorge Masvidal and rocks him with that same elbow, Jorge's going to smile at him. Jorge is not about to be like, here, full mount me, choke me out. You know, you know what I'm saying? Jorge's going to, he's going to laugh at him. You know what I mean? He's going to work his way back up to the feet. Another thing is that single leg entry that he had against Carlos Jorge stuffing that shit all day. And, you know, but we got to give credit to Maya for his takedown abilities. And it's not just, you know, it's not that he'll just pull guard and sweep you, which he did do against Neil Magny. It was very beautiful. But it's the way he chains his takedowns up against the fence, man. And, you know, you start uh, defending that double. Then the single's coming out of nowhere, man. And then, you know, you start defending that single. Then you're on your back. And you start trying to, you know, retain your guard. Then you get full mounted. It's just very tiring to deal with a guy like Damian Maya. But if there's anyone that can do it, I think it's Jorge Gambrin Masvidal, who's well-rounded in every area of the game. And also, let's talk about this. So, you know, we can talk about how, oh, Damian beat the shit out of Gunnar Nelson. It's true. He did. But the, the fundamental difference here is that Gunny went out there with his ego on the line. He, he said, I'm going to outgrapple Damian Maya. You know what I mean? Jorge is not about to do that, man. Jorge is not about to try to take down Damian Maya for his ego and see if he can, you know, outgrapple him. For Jorge, outgrappling Damian Maya means to stuff his takedowns, keep the fight standing, and pick him apart. And I truly believe he's fully capable of doing that. I mean, we're talking about a guy that wrestles with Colby Covington every single day. I mean, that's a D1 national champ, right? I mean, that's a two-time two All-American. I mean, bottom line is yeah, he's got the wrestling yeah, credentials. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? One of you hardcore wrestling fans can correct me on it, but one thing we can agree on is Colby's the is serious. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And Jorge Gamebred trains with this guy every single day, man. So... I do believe he's going to be able to stuff that head and not get too involved with the with the ground exchanges. And let's say he does get taken down early. I mean, I'm sure he watched that Rory fight. I'm sure he knows to, you know, get those butterfly hooks in, tire Maya out. And when we get to that second round, Damian Maya is going to be like the walking mummy like he was against Rory. So I see this being a less violent version of Whitaker versus Jacare, but a more violent version of Maya versus Rory. I think he's going to do the thing, man. So two units. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. Um, like I said, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't betting on... I did not bet on this fight just because the line wasn't good enough for me. When I got to it, it was just... George was like minus 130 or something like that. It's minus 125 now, but I passed just because out of my respect for Maya. But I definitely am taking uh, Masvidal in this fight. Like you said earlier, the Kobe Covington factor is everything in this fight. I mean, he's roommates with a D1 wrestler who can wrestle like a motherfucker. I just think, we already know George has good wrestling, offensive and defensive. I mean, you already know when the, what happens when this dude gets taken out. He pops right back up. When Cerrone, Cerrone shot that double on him and got him, what and happened? And pre, preface that by saying, Cerrone gets that double on everyone. Ex on everyone. Cerrone hits everyone with that double leg. 
he's hit Dos Anjos with that double leg and got it before. Rick Story, Rick with, Story that with that double leg. Cote. And what happened when he hit it with George? George popped right back up like it was nothing. Um, this dude's just too too slippery. He's just he can't you can't hold him down. Um, I just see even if Maya does come out in the first round and take him down, I do not see George getting choked out. Um, he's got he's got, he's has a submission loss. Uh, I know you remember that Toby Amada, <laughs> Toby Amada back in the day, but you know he was learning he was learning his craft back then. But uh, I just see him even if he does get taken down that first round, I feel like once Maya sus- uh, suspends all his energy trying to choke him out. Like uh, I know you recall the Matt Brown fight when he when he had top position for two rounds and then that third round he's dead tired and Matt Brown comes out and drops him. I feel a guy like Jorge is just gonna take advantage of that and a lot sooner. He's not gonna get those takedowns as easy. He's gonna have to fight till the end for those takedowns. George's takedown defense is just amazing. Um, then we're gonna start digging those hard body shots with the hands and then hard body kicks. We already know George has. Man, watch some the of the Kiesa hardest. <laughs> exactly. Watch the Kiesa fight. Watch, watch the Pat Healy fight. Watch, watch. Just watch George's the fight. The Cerrone fight. I mean, we're gonna kick that body in. Damien's gonna be huffing and puffing. He's gonna start shooting sloppy. Then we're gonna get on top of Damien, and then we're gonna start ground and pounding him. Once Damien gets on his back, I have no more, no more worries about George anymore. I feel like George could get in his guard and be fine. Um, I see George getting a late finish here, third round. But if not, you know, decision. Um, but, you know what I'm saying? I would not be surprised if Damien went out and choked him out. I mean, actually, no, I would be surprised. I'm lying. Um, if Damien takes out George Masvidal and takes him down and chokes him out in the first round, he's going to be the champion if he does that. Um, but I don't see that happening. I see George weathering a little a little early storm, might, might get taken down once, but I see George coming out late with a victory. Look, man, if Maya... Submits Jorge Masvidal. He's a champion. I ain't no bitch. I'll stand up and clap for the guy, even if I got money on Jorge Masvidal. Like, it's, this ain't no ego shit, yeah, man. Exactly. This, we're just keeping it real. I mean, look, Maya can tap him out. Okay, you're you're the fucking man. But I truly don't believe that's gonna happen. And I'm not gonna sit here and discredit Maya's last couple wins because I understand, you know, Jorge did go up there against Jake Ellenberger and Ross Pearson. And we know those guys, you know, well, you know. But he he also destroyed Cerrone, who was looking better than he's ever looked. But with Maya, you know, those last three wins, Gunny Nelson, who it's a great win on paper, but when you watch the fight, it's like, Gunner, why are you trying to outgrapple Damian Maya? Like, are you stupid? Like, is there something wrong with you? That's like, you know, because Gunner was calling out Wonderboy, and I was thinking about it, I was talking to you about it. I was like, well, you know, if Gunner takes him to the mat, you can finish it quick. But if Gunner comes out there with that Maya game plan, he's like, you know what? I'm going to try to outstrike Wonderboy. You know, it's just, you don't fight with your ego, and I don't think Jorge's going to do that. And also, the Matt Brown fight, the Carlos Condit fight. Look, Matt Brown and Carlos Condit are two of my all-time favorite fighters. I love those dudes, but let's be honest. I mean, they're both retired fighters. You know what I'm saying, man? Just because they were top five, you know, a year ago, two years ago, doesn't mean they're top five now, man. This sport evolves, not just by the year, not just by the month, but by the day. And uh, this is actually going to be a prime fighter that's going to come in with the proper game plan to deal with a guy like Damian Maya, and I, I think he'll be able to. Like you said, George has finally figured out all the times he lost split decisions. All the Let, times Let's talk about those splits. So when George Masvidal loses a fight, aside from the Toby Amada fight and the Rodrigo Dan fight, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when Jorge Masvidal loses a fight, he'll destroy you, and then he'll feel bad for you, and he'll coast. And now that he's a top five, I mean, those that's days are long gone. Done. I mean, they, he ain't now. fighting no-name guys anymore. Like, he's getting up for these fights. He's putting 
hundreds of thousands of dollars into these training camps, and uh, he's going to come in here prepared. He, he, he ain't fighting Ruslam anymore. I <laughs> uh, like Kenta. This is 170 George. That's he know he re, if he wins this fight, he could get a title shot. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like he's finally realizing. I mean. Let's talk about George way back in the strike force that went to split with like Justin Wilcox, like <laughs> shit like that, coasting when he was just he's just playing around with them. Those days are done. Now he's going in for the kill. And uh, we're gonna see you on Saturday. I can't wait. I got two units on it. The co main event of the evening, we got the champion, Joanna Janjacek. She's minus one sixty five and the comeback on the challenger, Jessica Andrage, is plus one forty five. Now you know, you've probably heard me say on previous episodes, you know, before UFC 205, I said, look, either Carolina is going to dethrone Joanna or Jessica Andrade is going to dethrone Joanna. Now, I was wrong about Carolina. Even though Carolina had her moment in that fourth round when she dropped uh, Joanna and rocked her badly, she was unsuccessful. So I was wrong about that. So now we got my, my second option, and we're going to find out firsthand because I truly believe this is the toughest test to date for Joanna Janjacek, man. And uh, look, if she gets past this challenge, man, tip my cap because this is going to be a serious fight, dude. And so obviously with Joanna Janjacek, you know, multiple-time Muay Thai world champion, I mean, obviously, the, we don't got to talk about the hand speed, the combinations. She destroys girls. And those first two championship fights against Carlos Barza, against Jessica Penne, man, I mean, those girls never came back the same, man. You know what I'm saying, bro? And obviously, the Valerie Letourneau fight, she never came back the same either. Claudia Gadelia to overcome that adversity in the first two rounds, win the next three rounds. I was impressed with Joanna Janjacek. But Jessica Andrade brings something different to the table, man. And what she brings is freakish strength for that weight class. You know, because all these people that Joanna's been fighting, I mean, she look, yeah, she fought a pretty girl in Jessica Penne. This ain't no pretty girl no more. This is like a little dude. Like, this is like John Lineker. So... Little Brazilian it, female, <laughs> This is like a dude versus a chick almost, and uh, and that's nothing. I'm talking about their body types, man. I'm talking about like a short, little, stocky, muscle head. You know what I'm saying? And Jessica Andrade, and the way Jessica closes that distance, man. I mean, she overwhelms fighters with those blitzes, and you know, I'm questioning if Joanna can take those shots because not that Joanna is necessarily chinny, but maybe she's had so many Muay Thai fights that now a jab by Claudia Gadelia does drop her. Maybe that right hand by uh, Carolina also drops her. You know what I mean? And that shit wasn't even to the chin, man. That was to the nose, okay? So what I'm wondering here is if that left hook lands, which we know it will because the way that Jessica throws those punches and bunches and closes the distance, there's no way that you know, at least at least one of those isn't going to land. You know what I'm saying, man? So what's going to happen there? I'm really curious. I'm really curious if Joanna can withstand that shot. If she can withstand that shot and pick up our Jessica, hey, you're you're the champ. You're Joanna champion, and you're still a badass. Because to me, Joanna's the first ever strawweight champion. I don't, we, we, don't, we don't talk about Carlos Barza or anything like that, man. We talk about Joanna and Jacek. So to me, she's already the George Washington of that division. So no matter what happens, she's got my respect. But, man... If I didn't have a full card, I would so take the shot on Jessica Andrade here because I do believe this is the toughest challenge that Joanna's ever faced. And also, you know, we got to talk about the Angela Hill versus Jessica Andrade fight. So we can agree that Angela Hill is like a poor man's version of Joanna, even though Angela Hill moves a lot more than Joanna, which is a very important thing we're about to talk about. But striking caliber-wise, Angela Hill is a poor poor ladies version of Joanna, you know what I mean? She's a accomplished striker, but she's not quite as good as Joanna. But 
The fundamental difference here is that Angela Hill actually moved around a lot, and she made Jessica Andras chase her. Joanna, she's not a stationary target, but she definitely doesn't move as much as Angela Hill does, man. And it's going to be not easy, but it's doable for Jessica to close that distance with that blitz and catch her, man. And I'm really worried about how Joanna's durability is going to hold up in those situations. Another thing, people like to criticize the cardio of Jessica Andrade. I don't think it should be criticized at all, man. She she landed more punches in the third round against Angela Hill than she did in the first or the second. You know what I mean? And she looked like she was fresh to go another another two rounds. Then again, Angela Hill, 1-4 in the UFC. Now we're dealing with you know 7-0 and or whatever the number is on Dan Jacek. But still, man, styles make fights, man. And uh, I do think we're going to see a new champion on Saturday night. Yeah, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think we will see a new champion. Um, man, I was leaning Joanna until recently when I re-watched uh, Andrade's fights. I mean... Like, when she dropped down to 115, I feel like she just had to, her diet had to switch up, and she's just in incredible shape now, just lean. Um, all her fights, we've seen her blitz, stalk, like, stalk, like, give her opponent no space. Like, rewatch that Angela Hill fight. Angela Hill was moving all over the octagon, left and right. Lateral movement was actually really good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, she even caught she even caught Jessica Andrade several times, but Andrade just kept coming like a bull that she is. I mean, she is like a female John Lineker, like busting up your ribs, back to the head. Um, and she's got good takedowns. These chicks are so light to her, like she said. I feel like even she could even use that game plan, you know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, when she picks girls up, she's picking them up all over her shoulder and then dropping them, um, which we don't see 115-pound chicks do. Joanna, like you said, does not move anything like Angela Hill. Like, the Angela Hill fight, she had to chase her down, and she did it. And the cardio was fine. She could have went two more rounds easy. Um, I see a new champion. I see her beating in them ribs, Joanna dropping them hands and getting caught and dropped and finished. Um, if not, she can wrestle. Or, you know what I'm saying, she could finish, uh, knock her down on the feet and then finish her off with a guillotine or something like that. But uh, I think we're gonna have a new champion. I think Joanna. I think Joanna's the greatest female fighter of all time. I just think that her chin is diminishing. Um, every fighter has to lose at some point. You know what I'm saying? She's gotten through. She's trying to retire undefeated. And anytime someone's talking about that retiring undefeated thing, I tend to. It's coming now. Since you said it, you know Ronda, what I'm saying? Ronda Holly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that you said it, now it's gonna happen. Um, I, I see a new champion. Um, Joanna does not move as much as I thought she did, to be honest. Um, she's like the, more of the traditional Muay Thai, like, you know, I take one, you take one, back and forth. Um, I mean, she's still got great combinations, hard hard kicks, uh, good hands, fast hands, definitely faster hands than Andrade, but just the, the effect. Andrade is not going to feel anything she throws, but when Andrade lands, Joanna's going to feel it, and she's going to feel it bad. So that for that, I got uh, Jessica Andrade by... Second round TKO. Now, here's my question, man. Let's say this fight does hit the championship rounds. Do you think that the technique of Joanna and Jacek could prevail in a situation like that? Well, in the Hill fight, man, she did not slow down at all. Andrade was a tank coming, not slowing down at all. Probably had more output in the, in the third. Like you said, yeah, she had more output in the third than she had in the first. She was still coming, so I really don't think it's going to be a factor. I think once... She starts landing those body shots on Joanna. I feel like even though Joanna's volume is great for that weight class, I just feel like she's going to be super hesitant now because she knows what's coming. Like, look at all the chicks uh, Andrade has fought so far. They get scared. After after they feel it, they get scared, and now they're, now they're trying to backpedal, trying to 
cover up cover up the ribs and now your hands are dropping and now you're leaving that face open so i just feel i feel like Andrade is going to do it Man, I was at Jessica Andrade's fight against Jessica Penne, man, at UFC 199. I mean, you could hear the thump of those uh, those hooks to the body, those hooks to the head. And I mean, we were we were screaming for them to stop the fight earlier, man. That's the second Penne fight in a row where we're screaming at these refs <laughs> to stop that fight. You know what I'm saying, yeah. man? But, uh, yeah, so I, I guess we're both thinking there's a new champion. But I think we both need to man up and uh, put a bet on it, man. It's just... I already got, like, five bets, man. I'm already past my max, you know what I'm saying? But, hey, those five bets all happened before this this uh, fight, and uh, I fully plan on cashing three of those five bets. So after I do that, I'll probably take that uh, that shot on, on Jessica Andrade to become the new champ. Yeah, I can't wait. Either can I. And you know what else I can't wait for? The rematch of one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. That's what they're saying. And you know what, man? I agree, because that fight was a war. We got Stipe Miocic. He's minus 135. The comeback on Junior Cigano Dos Santos is plus 115. Now, you saw their first fight, obviously. It was a war. A lot of people at the time actually thought that Stipe should have got his, his hand raised. You know, I had a bet on JDS, and it's funny. I bet JDS inside the distance. So JDS drops him in the third round. I'm like, all right, here it is, about to cash. <laughs> and then he lets him back up and lets him off the hook. Ah. That one hurt. Still hurts to this day, but look, I don't hold any ill will towards the man, Junior Cigano, one of the nicest fighters in UFC history. But now, you know, since that fight, man, they, their careers have gone in drastically different ways, man. I mean, look, since that point, this is what this is what Stipe has done. He went in there with Arlovsky. Now, I know Arlovsky's coming off a bunch of losses, but you know where those bunch of losses started from? They started with Stipe. You know what I mean? Stipe basically ended this guy's UFC career because what a lot of people don't remember is that Arlovsky had four setbacks in a row in Strikeforce, right? And then he went on this eight-fight win streak, makes it back to the UFC. He looks, you know, like a new man, knocks out Bigfoot, Travis. beats... Oh, yeah, knocks out Travis, beats Frank Mir, beat fucking, you know, the yeah. that one guy that we don't, we won't talk about. Brendan Shaw. No, but, uh, oh, yeah. So he goes on a four-fight win streak in the UFC, and he gets to the point where it's like, all right, man, you beat Stipe, you're going to get the title shot, straight up. But Stipe stopped him in under a minute. And Stipe goes out there. He beat the shit out of Mark Hunt. You know, a lot of people don't even want to go back and rewatch that Mark Hunt fight because they just remember it as this one-side ass-whooping where Stipe used wrestling. And, yeah, he did use wrestling effectively, but what about when he outstruck him that first round, too? (laughs) Yeah, he he beat the fuck out of Mark Hunt and beat him in every single facet of the game. And, you know, it went to the fifth round. We saw that championship cardio that looked much improved compared to the Cigano fight. Then he fights Werdum, and, I mean, he fights Werdum in Brazil. And, you know, a lot of people discredit that performance, saying, oh, well, Doom was just running forward with his chin up in the air. That's not what happened, man. He was frustrated. I mean, Wardoom, not only was he frustrated, but Wardoom charges forward against everyone he fights, man. That's how he fights. Wardoom walks you down. He throws big punches. He runs at you. I mean, he does that every single fight. I mean, watch his two ass whoopings of Travis Brown. That's how he strikes, man. So, Stipe... You could tell he he game planned around that shit, man. And he was like, all right, when he runs in, that's what I'm going to circle out. I'm going to cut that angle. I'm going to throw that straight right down the pipe. And I'm going to clock him, man. It seemed calculated. It seemed like something that they'd been working on, something that they planned for. And it was so effective to knock out a guy like Bordum in Brazil. You know, the chances of him getting that decision there are very you know slim to none, right? So for him to know what he had to do, and not just know, but to do it. That's a lot. And then, so he beat Wardoom and took his belt in Brazil, right? That's going to someone else's hometown. Then the next fight is in Cleveland. That's Stipe's, you know, hometown. And Stipe had all the pressure that Wardoom had. Now he was in Wardoom's shoes, and he had to go in there against Overeem, who, 
uh, let me remind you guys at the time, you know, Overeem changed his career around. You know, he's fighting safer now. He's knocking out guys like Cigano who don't often get knocked out. He worked his way to that UFC title shot. And a lot of people thought that Overeem was finally going to, you know, realize that dream of becoming the UFC world champion. And Overeem got close. He, he, he rocked Stipe twice, but Stipe, you know, people call him Chinny. Uh, I mean, he, look, when Cigano took that left hand shot, he went down. When Stipe took it, I mean, he wobbled, but he got back up and he started chasing over him, you know what I mean? And then eventually he got to over him, knocked him out cold, defended the belt in Cleveland. This is a very mentally tough guy we got. So can his durability hold up against Cigana? Because that's going to be really important because I do think it goes to the later rounds. I do think he's going to beat him. Yeah, um, it's a tough fight. I could see it going either way. Um, we could see old prime JDS that comes out with the hands blazing. You know, he's got Luis with him again. Um we could see JDS come out. I mean, let's. We can arguably say that JDS at one point was the greatest heavyweight of all time. That run he had. Yeah, from Werdum to Mir, that was the best. I mean, I remember we can't forget the Struve KO, the Gilbert Ivel KO, the Crow Cup KO, Can. Gonzaga, Shane uh, Carwin, Carwin. I mean, that dude has beaten everyone just about. Um, Stipe is just like that perfect mix of wrestling, boxing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, good single legs, good double legs, good jabs. Like he KO'd Verdun with that right hand. You know, to be honest, when he fought JDS the first time live, I actually thought he won. I, I actually thought he won. But when I rewatched it, I you know, I, I rescored it for uh, Dos Santos. But um, I just feel like Stipe is right now, he's just in that spot where he's going to find some way to pull it off. He's probably going to get dropped. They're both going to get dropped. But I feel like at some point, he's just going to catch him. It's heavyweights. We already know what happens when heavyweights fight. Um, I feel like in the later rounds... I feel like uh, Stipe is going to come through in the later rounds, just like the first fight almost. Like, JDS built that early lead, and, you know, Stipe was coming back hard in them later rounds because that card, he's got that perfect, like, that Bisping style for a heavyweight. Yeah, you know exactly. Jab, 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 you know what I'm saying? That perfect style for a heavyweight because he can pre preserve his cardio better than a lot of them. We've seen JDS completely gassed out. But this isn't the same JDS that came out and fought Overeem, you know, when he's trying to trade kicks with Overeem. And that was his first fight with ATT, so I think, We'll, we'll we'll give him an excuse on that one, and uh, but I just think uh, Stipe is gonna end up pulling this off somehow, some way. Um, it might even take him down, you know what I'm saying, in the later rounds. And I think I actually think it goes to the full five. I think it goes to the full five, and I think uh, Stipe wins the decision. And you know, obviously JDS's last fight against Ben Rothwell, that's the best he's looked in a while. Not the best he's ever looked. That's what people try to act like that's you know, he's a reborn guy. I don't think he's a reborn guy. I think he got back to his roots in terms of his style. You know, he stopped throwing the fucking spinning heel kick every single I'm a boxing guy. Every, yeah. <laughs> he got back to his boxing. But I mean, look, Ben Rothwell, a lot of respect, and I even picked him in that fight, but Ben Rothwell is a stationary target, man. We should have seen that coming from a mile away. But bottom line is we didn't. But now we're analyzing that performance and Ben is a stationary target. Stipe is not a stationary target. Stipe moves like Bisbing of heavyweight. So, you know, that's going to be a big factor here. And Cigano's not as fresh as he was the first time they fought. And the first time they fought, I mean, that's Cigano after two wars with Kane. Now it's after two wars with Kane, a five-round war with Stipe, an ass-whooping by Overeem, and uh, he came back against Rothwell and won there. But still, man... Yeah, all that damage has to take its toll. So we'll see We'll see uh, where uh, Cigano stands on Saturday night. We got to talk about some of these prelims, man, because we got Gabriel Benitez. He's minus 200. The comeback on Enrique Barzola, El Fuerte, is plus 170. This is a really good fight, man. And I am 
slightly surprised by the line, but I'm not completely surprised. And the reason I say that is because, you know, this kid Barzola, I know people are acting like he's a jobber that's being brought in to lose. But I kind of disagree, man. I think that he's a very tough customer. I think he's well-rounded. And I, I think he comes to fight, and he's not going to just take a knee. This ain't Sam Cecilia. This ain't Humberto Brown. This ain't Clay Collard. Barzola is going to come to fight. Now, with Gabriel Benitez, obviously I'm a big fan. He has, you know, cashed that plus 150 against Sam Cecilia. But Sam Cecilia, let's be honest, he's an aging competitor on his way out of the game. What I like about Gabriel Benitez is obviously that southpaw stance. That left kick is just... I mean, you hear the sound. You cringe when you hear the sound of that left kick, man. And you hear Javier Mendez talking about how, you know, this is a guy. Javier Mendez is a guy that's coached Kane. He's coached DC, Luke Rockhold, all these great fighters. He says the hardest kicker out of anyone I've ever coached is Gabriel Benitez. You know, not Luke Rockhold, the guy that's known for his kicks. Gabriel Benitez. I mean, that left kick is ridiculous. And obviously with a southpaw, when you're fighting orthodox, that left kick, it goes straight to the liver. So that could be a big weapon in this fight. But one thing about Gabriel is that, you know, he kind of doesn't move his head at all, man. He's cool. He's fine to brawl. He is very experienced. He's a tough Mexican fighter. So I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen here when him and Barzola stand up and trade, man, because the kicks are going to be big weapons. But I wonder what happens in the boxing exchanges, man. When they trade hands, that's where I think Barzola can get the edge. But uh, Benitez with those kicks, those kicks could stop him in his tracks. Uh, dude, I'm kind of on the fence on this one, man. I know a lot of people are confident in Benitez, but I'm not. I agree. I don't understand what why everyone's on Benitez. I mean, I understand why he's the favorite. I mean, he's got the more high-profile wins. Barzola's coming off a win over a guy that doesn't belong in the UFC. But to say Enrique is going to get worked here is, I mean, let's look at the dudes that Benitez is beating. Cecilia, who's old, chinny. No offense to him, but chinny, a guy that's known for finding his way out of fights. We took that plus 150 for a reason. Uh, Clay Collard, even though he's a young kid, He's old in the fight game. I mean, takes damage, comes in with his chin up, lose sloppy, a sloppy fighter. Uh, Humberto Brown. Humberto Brown. I, that is, I, mean, I don't even have to explain that. But a guy like Enrique, I think he's got real good kicks. He's got some hard kicks, good hands. I feel like it could go either way. I mean, plus, I've seen the lineup as high as plus 185 at one point, so I definitely understand that shot on Enrique. But the... I wouldn't be using Gabriel as a parlay leg or anything like that. Um, I think it's a 50-50 fight. And I'm actually going to say Enrique is going to win. Wow. Brave. Bold. Yeah. We'll see what happens, man. It's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I was also surprised yeah. by the line, man. And I, I feel like Enrique is undefeated in the UFC. I mean, I, I thought he won that fight against a Botchniak, yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? He won that fight. He straight won that fight. Um you know, and we like to talk about guys that win the controversial decision. We like betting on them, but that wasn't even one of those situations. That was, yeah. I don't often use the word robbery, but that was a robbery, straight up. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean, man. So, it's gonna be a close fight, man. Um, I'm gonna just go on the opposite way. I'm gonna pick Gabriel, but I mean, I obviously ain't betting it for the reasons we mentioned, man. So, but at least finally we can be on the opposite side of a pick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though I think Barzola is gonna win, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we got. Godzi Himurad, anti Gulov. He's minus 350, and he's taking on Joachim Christensen, who's plus 290. Now, Joachim Christensen is what we like to refer to as a jobber. Someone that's brought in to lose, someone that's brought in to make me look good. And I think with anti Gulov, I mean, you saw his fight against the Lima. You know, he, he makes him quit with a, with a choke that's not even locked in. But still, 
you know, you watch his regional scene fights and, I mean, the dude's rushing. Let's play like that, man. When it's time to take you down, it's time to take you down. When it's time to throw big bombs, it's time to throw big bombs. I mean, he does what the Russians do, but he does it at 205 pounds. And uh, Christensen, man, I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, couldn't get Boyan Mihajlovic out of there until the third round, right? Like, like we're talking about that kind of level. And I see uh, Antti Gulov getting, uh, you know, a nice... Uh, Sambo takedown, get a submission, and I finish the fight as a minus three fifty favorite. Yeah, I got Antigulov. I think he's gonna make quick work. Uh, just overwhelm him with the hands, choke him out, or a ground and pound. First round. Courtney Casey's minus one twenty, and the comeback on Jessica Aguilar's plus one hundred. Now, I mean, is Jessica Aguilar even a fighter, man? I mean, because like she fought one time in the UFC a million years ago. It looked terrible. Before that, she hadn't fought in a million years. I mean, to me. I feel I feel like in her prime she was she probably was she probably was the best uh, 115 pound girl but that's a long time we got way I mean look at her last fight I know I know it was against Claudia but she had nothing to offer I mean she looked old it was forever ago too. it was UFC 190 I think it was is that and, when Ronda and, fought and, bench? bench yeah oh my game. god man that's how that's how long ago so Ronda's lost twice since the last <laughs> time Jessica Aguilar's fought just to give you guys a reference yeah. I feel like she's got one foot in one foot out the door you know she's doing the commentating thing as well but I mean I don't see anything in her game but I cannot bet on Courtney Casey I mean she's the type of girl that She'll rock you and then go for, like, a flying armbar or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, she might get the armbar. We saw her get one on uh, Random Marcos, but I don't even I don't even want to play play around with that. Aguilar has got more accomplishments, but I'm going to take Casey in this one by a uh, three-round decision. I'm going to go with Casey as well. And you know what? I'm going to go with a finish. But don't bet it because it's still a yeah. chick fight. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Courtney Casey as well. And If, uh, if anything, you use that uh, fight starts round three, if anything. Yeah, and, and I highly recommend everyone stays away from this Chase Sherman versus Rashad Coulter fight and uh, Jared Gordon versus Mitchell Canonis. Unless you know something that we don't know, but based on the tape, man, it's, it screams stay very far away. But before we get out of here, MMA Genius, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, MMA Genius, the fight to watch for UFC 211, what is it? Fight to watch is going to be uh, Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez. I mean, that should be madness unless Eddie wants to come out and wrestle. But I don't. I think he's going to have a tough time trying to wrestle uh, DP. So I think it's going to be a slugfest, and I think it's going to be fight of the night. Indeed. I mean, look, anytime you got Dustin Poirier fighting, I mean, that's already the fight to watch, right? But you put him in there with the underground king, Eddie Alvarez, and it really does have the recipe for fight of the night, man. So I completely agree with you. Now, my fight to watch is Jorge Gamebred Masvidal versus Damian Maya. Look, we got Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, who, like we were mentioning in our breakdown, you know, he was always perennial top 15, but now he's top five, and he's taking on the number one contender in Damian Maya. I mean, look, if Damian Maya goes out there, puts him on the ground, takes his back, chokes him out, there's no denying Damian Maya should get that next title shot against Tyron Woodley. But, conversely, Jorge Masvidal goes out there and stops the seemingly unstoppable Damian Maya, maybe puts him away, I mean, we might be looking at a teammate versus teammate with Jorge Masvidal and Tyron Woodley. So for that reason, that's my fight to watch, man. Yeah, I agree, man. I can't wait for that. Uh, it's either it's now or never for both guys. If Damian doesn't win this, I mean, uh, he'll never he'll never do it. And if Jorge doesn't win this, I mean, it's back to the same old Jorge now. Yeah, indeed. So I gotta know, man. Who's your fighter to watch for UFC 211? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say uh, Sergio Pettis here. I mean. I think he's gonna make a big. He's gonna uh, cash his big upset for us at plus three fifteen. 
I think he's going to outpoint Henry and uh, shock a lot of people and uh, arguably be in line for a title shot. Yeah, I mean, I don't see too many people sharing our opinion that this line is completely crazy. It's completely off. Um, Henry Cejudo slows down after that first round every single time. And Sergio Pettis is a point-fighting whiz, like you said, man. So at plus 315, you got to take that shot. He's definitely one of your fighters to watch, just for the sole fact that he's a 24-year-old kid. He's getting better every single fight. Let's see what he does in uh, the biggest spotlight of his career. Man, I'm very curious. Now, my fighter to watch is Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. You know, speaking of the biggest spotlight of a young fighter's career, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than fighting the former lightweight champion, Frankie the Answer Edgar, a future Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. And Yair, I've always said it, man. I see something special with this kid. I think he does things that other people simply cannot do. I mean, people cannot do what he does. I mean, his athleticism, his technique, everything, his will to win, his creativity, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And if he goes out there and defeats the legend, Frankie the Answer Edgar, look the fuck out because we got a new school of talent, you know, coming to the coming to the UFC, coming to mixed martial arts, man. So Yair Rodriguez is my fighter to watch for UFC 211. Yeah, I can't wait for that fight. We're going to see uh, if it's going to be a passing of the torch, if uh, Yair can take be the only one to stop Frankie by strikes. Um, we're going to see. Uh, Frankie's a legend, like you said, a future Hall of Famer. Plenty of wars, plenty of great moments, but uh, we're going to see uh, what this Yair dude is all about. Indeed we are. Well, man, UFC 211 is going down this Saturday on pay-per-view. The prelims are on FX. And, uh, man, we couldn't have picked a better card for you to come back to, and I'll break this one down in half the battle with us. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for everything. Jocko, uh, you know, trying to move up in the ranks against uh, Dave Branch, the WSOF champion. Skelly and Knight. James Vick. I mean, it's always exciting with Vick. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So uh, And George is fighting. You know what I'm saying? So this card is going to be uh, good. It's a great It's great to be back, uh, especially with this card. And um, it's just going to be better from here on out. I mean, there's going to be cash and bets from now on. Yes, sir. Two title fights on the card as well. Uh, you're getting your money's worth, so make sure you buy this pay-per-view. And uh, MMA Genius, you want to let them know where to follow you on Twitter? Uh, follow me at MMA Genius 05. Yes, sir. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.